Welcome to Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people leading creative, outside the box, I mean outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. Our vision is to unfold God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope is that these stories will help you find ways to engage in your own communities as we work together for a more just and loving world. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, people of faith, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Hey, Mandy. Hey, Marta. So glad to be back in this space again. Here we are. I know, and we have an awesome question that we are going to unpack um, that is a little table turning and um, risky and also... Uh, just questions that we want to grapple with, um, knowing that we're really never, ever going to be able to answer these questions. Right. But we hope it spurs your imagination and that you start thinking about it and maybe have some conversations with people about it as well. Right. This is not Q&A. It's just Q. It's just Q, right. Um, in season five, we're focusing on turning over tables. We've got these amazing questions from our listeners who are challenging us, the church, to look at our patterns and behaviors and really questions why do we do what we do? Why we think what we think and why do we believe what we believe? Often we just sort of take it on and we don't even think about why we believe the things we believe. Turning over tables though is a risky task. As I think about turning over tables, one of the visuals that comes to mind is, is actually turning over rocks rocks that have been smushed deep into the dirt below. And I love that image that we've sort of taken it from our human relationships to our relationship with the earth, because I think the earth has a lot to teach us about theology and about God and about questions about the church. So when we flip over these rocks, we often expose the mess that the rocks were hiding. Creepy, crawly bugs that go running as soon as the protection of their shelter is removed. That's, that's a great image that I'm thinking about. Today, we will address one of the core tenets of Christianity, death and resurrection. We'll think about why we believe what we believe about death and resurrection and how that transforms the ways that we live our lives for the good and for the bad. Also, as always, be sure to listen to the end because we will always share the good news with you where Jesus is showing up right here and now. Because Jesus isn't just showing up in the church on Sunday mornings. That's right. He's all over. Right. Jesus has left the building. Boop, boop. Our um, scripture text for this, this episode that that we are going to be focusing on just in this episode, though I, um, I, I think that you also should go and listen to the table, Jesus turning over the table scripture also, because that is the one that is guiding our overall season. But this is the text that is just for this episode, and it comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, 25 through 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe in this? 
So Mandy, what 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 are some first things that come to mind with this text? What are some images, some stories, some thoughts? Well, as a progressive Christian, I often hear this text and I get a little bit scoffy. You know, I have sort of a literal and sciency brain as as many um, kind of progressive Christians do. We get into our head and we hear these words and it sounds a little bit like BS because what I know is that everyone dies. That is like the one truth in our world as humans. Everyone dies. And so this text can't, in my brain, literally mean what it says. But this text is central to our Christian faith. So how then do we interpret this text as progressive Christians? We could talk about bodily resurrection versus spiritual resurrection, but does that really get to the point of this text? Was Jesus trying to get us to believe in magic? Or was he trying to get us to see beyond the literal reality that my brain wants to go to? So I will say that I I was taught to be more rational. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was learned for me more than who I am mm-hmm. as a person. Um, I am definitely more of like sort of that creative, emotional type. Um, and so when I first read this text to get to prepare for this episode, I kept on hanging on to a couple of things, like the idea of resurrection and the life. That whole actual sentence, I am, is one thing, one part, just to dissect it for a minute. So it comes from the Hebrew Bible, I am who I am, which means we are Jesus and Jesus is us and we are God and God is us. And then we have this section of resurrection and life. And it's interesting because like you said, most of us look at that one section and they're like, woohoo, party. (laughs) If I believe in this, then there's going to be resurrection and life. And that is amazing. And I am going to be, um, saved and it's going to be okay and it's all positive and good because that's what we want um, in our American culture is positivity and good that feels good that's what people want and um, and you know it's grounded in this idea of salvation the way it's normally defined that isn't that isn't um, attainable Right, right, right. And so resurrection and life are like almost exactly the same words. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. used twice. And the only difference is is that the only way to have resurrection is if it's death. So it's actually saying, I am death and I am life. Mm-hmm. So, and then, and then what's so interesting about it, because they're so almost exactly the same, you have this resurrection that is death, but it's almost like, spiritual life and then you have the word life which is actually about the human life so it's grounded in humanity so we are God if there is and God is us if there is death 
and spirituality and human and life, but for some reason we only focus on this unattainable celebratory thing that becomes not real. Right. Well, and I think, you know, this scripture can be kind of triggering for a lot of people. When you read the words, like you're saying, just in their simple form, um, it's, it actually is this sort of lovely and beautiful, holistic, universal um, concept. But for some Christians, it's actually the words that are not there um, that are the most important because they look at the opposite side of these words and you see some threat of death for those who don't believe in Jesus, right? And unfortunately, this text, as well as others about resurrection, have been used to shun non-Christians or people who some Christians deem non-Christians, whether they call themselves or Christians or not, um, condemning them to death. And um, this becomes a, a scripture text that is not... Um, sort of that beautiful, I am, we are, everything is one, it becomes, you know, pretty dangerous and and hurtful. But like you were saying, um, the words life and eternal life are two different words in the Greek, but they actually are basically synonymous in both John's Gospels and in... um, First John. So for John, eternal life begins here and now in our current lives, and that eternal life is abundant life, and it is life that death cannot destroy. Um, it's not actually this exclusive, exclusionary tenant that we need to like put onto other other people and other groups right and you know as I'm thinking about this there is well there's a couple of things you know I'm thinking kind of just of the church generally speaking and for leaders out there that are serving churches right now so there there are the the depths of things that were once that you know don't cause outrageous griefs like sudden deaths of people that we know like that's that's an outrageous traumatic uh, tragic deaths but we see deaths all the time in our work ending things and 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 ending things things that shift and change and and i guess what my biggest the thing that's hardest for me is to pick up that rock and like mm-hmm. hang with the critters and the mm-hmm. dirt and mud and the things that have been stuck under for a really long time right. and to really live in to resurrection something that was dead and something that is in the process of growing something new but it's not quite there yet that's the hardest part of that entire text right is actually resurrection it's not it is being on that journey in that process. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus isn't asking us to be perfect. Jesus isn't asking us to thrive in the way we think it's we're supposed to thrive. Or Jesus isn't asking us to, um, you know, 
be something that the world thinks or names as good, right? Jesus is just asking us to be in this ever-changing process of growth. And, and sometimes that means like just sitting in the messy for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And we don't like that. We don't like that in the church. We are not comfortable with it. Right. We actually um, want this scripture text to tell us that there's not going to be any messy anymore. Right. That at some point we achieve some level of perfection and, um, you know, higher, higher level, right, that has no more messy and that everything gets to be perfect. We are resurrected into something that really looks nothing like human life. Right. Just have faith and you're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Right? No, that's that's actually not working um, for me anymore. And, and it's not what Jesus actually said. It is not what Jesus said. So being a Christian um, does not mean that, like, it is going to be rosy and fine. And, um, and saying those words aren't helpful, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing about it. So, so anyway, I, I don't know. I think it, I, this is a tricky, this, this idea of resurrection and life is, is super tricky because people, I think, come to church for a product to make them feel good and to be entertained with either relationships, entertained with performance, entertained with intellectual thought, and except that's not what our tradition is about. Right. In any way, shape, or form. And I'll be the first to be say that I get caught up. I get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. Same. And it's hard. It's shout out time. Today we want to give a shout out to our colleague, Reverend Pedro Silva. Pedro Silva is a USAF veteran and trained linguist who currently serves as an associate minister at the First Congregational Church Boulder United Church of Christ. He has a passion for using expansive conversational models to engage subjects such as spirituality, race, ethnicity, and political discourse. He is a poet, blogger, burgeoning rapper. His writings can be found at itsallinme.com and theruthlesschurch.com. We are grateful to Pedro for his support of Jesus Has Left the Building, and we're excited to welcome his questions to today's episode. My name is Pedro Silva. I'm the Associate Pastor at First Congregational Church of Boulder, United Church of Christ. And my question is, if the church believes in resurrection, then why are we generally afraid of death in all its forms? This is a really interesting question to me. Um, as we discussed earlier, I think you know we could talk about bodily resurrection versus spiritual resurrection, but I don't know that that is what gets to Pedro's real question. Pedro is asking why we are so afraid of death. And I think we are afraid of bodily death, for sure. But 
What I think we're really afraid of is spiritual death. We're afraid of hell. We're afraid of the eternal torture of our souls because we haven't, had, we haven't been Christian enough. So my dad grew up in a really like fire and brimstone, super dramatic um, church in the South. And in that particular culture, um, you know, the threat of hell was very significant and very real. Um, and he shed that tradition, that religious tradition, a long, long time ago. Um, but I think he held this, um, held that fear of death and of going to hell for a long, long time. He was a good, good man, um, but I don't think he ever felt like he was good enough to, um, to you know, make it to heaven. And he talked about that sometimes. And I remember um, he died almost two years ago, and I remember sitting with him in his last moments, and he was really struggling to let go of life. And he, um, we said all the things that we thought he needed to hear, you know, we're going to be okay, it's okay for you to let go, you've had such a great life at 82, um, we're going to be okay. And he really was struggling to, to let go of that. And then it occurred to me that, um, you know, he needed to hear those things, but I think maybe he also needed to hear that he was going to be okay because he had that, um, that fear of what comes next for so long ingrained into him. And so I said to him, Daddy, where you're going, there's only love and light, and it's going to be okay. Um, and within moments, he took his last breath, and he was re- able to relax into a beautiful last few moments. And he left the earth at that, at that time, you know, having heard those words. And I think that was an incredibly powerful moment for me to realize how, um, how dangerous and toxic that threat of spiritual, eternal torture can be. And I think, you know, we, we want to balance it with, we'll just do good enough. And then you can have eternal spiritual joy and pleasure. Um, but I don't, I don't know that it's enough to, to balance it. You know what I mean? Well, I think when the um, theological framework um, that you're talking about with your dad is taught from such a young age, mm-hmm. and, but, but not just taught to him, but like that kind of framework is sort of built in to every part our whole culture of our culture Mm -hmm. and so we can't help but make sense of it in that way like it just is what it is but this question is so good because if we're to redefine restructure the framework turn over the tables and rebuild it 
then we can rebuild it in a way that our young people grow up experiencing it not so binary. Right, exactly. That it is all sort of ingrained together, that it is, that that to name death on a regular basis, to name life on a regular Mm -hmm. basis, and so that we practice life and death interchangeably all the time. Mm-hmm. It just constantly is happening, and it is what it is, and it, it's what it means to be human. I just think that would be such an interesting model, and I do think that there are cultures out there that are not our American Protestant Christian culture that does does practice life and death. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, differently. Yeah. You know... And, Theologian Matthew Fox, who's an expert on St. Thomas Aquinas, says that there's a double resurrection, one of the body when the soul rejoins the body, and the other is spiritual when the soul is reunited to God. So when we are, are awake and have risen and have undergone our first resurrection, that ability for us to to see the life and the death churning all the time, um, then when we die, for real, when our bodies die, that second resurrection sort of takes care of itself, right? So even our, um, even our ancient Christian tradition, I think, saw, saw that resurrection and death, that circle of life and death over and over again, in ways that we don't in our American culture. Yeah, you know, the other day I was walking along with Roger, I think we were downtown, so it was totally random, and he was looking around and, um, and processing so- something in his head that I probably don't know about because, like Roger is most of <laughs> the time, things just spurt out of his mouth, and you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> but he said um, something like, wouldn't it be funny if, if this was actually like, if, if this was hell, mm. if, if, if that there was another life, mm-hmm. it's like the good place that it, right. And this was actually where we were brought to. Right. Um, wouldn't that be, he didn't say funny because that's not a word he uses. That's a word <laughs> I use. Um, that is a cocktail of of meanings in the word right interesting and funny um but you know it's it's something to think about Mm -hmm. it's hard and it's exhausting and i don't i don't in this conversation i don't want to like negate that the death of a loved one is not traumatic no of course it's it's horrible it's horrible we're not trying to say that but I guess to, to maybe reflect on this idea of resurrection and life in a flipping table kind of way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that Jesus, as a Jew, um, would have had a very different understanding of life and death than we as 21st century Christians do. Unlike most Greeks, ancient Jews traditionally did not believe that the soul could exist outside the body. The soul was basically like the breath. 
God created the first humans by breathing life into them in Genesis 2, 7. And when people stopped breathing, they didn't actually exist any longer. I don't think we really understand how odd Jesus's opinions on resurrection really were. Christians have accepted, for the most part, the concept of eternal life as a physical and spiritual reality. But for the people in Jesus's day, day, life was a concept with a clear beginning, birth and end, death. There was no expectation that anything existed outside of the bounds of life and death. According to Willie Duane Francois, writing in the Christian Century, for some Christians, salvation amounts to an escape from the present. It feeds a narcissistic need for longevity beyond the limits of existence. The fragility of life leads some of us to fumble around for meaning, leaving us satisfied with a hope based on ontological exclusivity. We run away from the terrors of our eternal now by out-believing, out-praying, out-worshipping, out-do-gooding those who are not like us, all as preconditions to live again in some great by and by. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? So this is all grounded in salvation. Right. And most of us look at that and because we have such an individualistic culture, we're mm-hmm. like, how can I be saved? Mm-hmm. What can I do better? Your, your dad was like, oh my gosh, like I need to be saved and I did not personally do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I think we get sort of stuck in that cycle of um, defining salvation as this individualistic thing. And as I do more work um, in intersectional fe- feminism and sort of womenist the theology, when Monica Coleman in Make Way Out of No Way, the book that she wrote, talks about salvation, it is literally 100% grounded in community. Mm-hmm. It is, there is nothing about it being just about this person or just about this person. Your personal relationship with God. It has everything to do about how you are working as one piece of a whole system, one piece of a community, one piece of a family. Mm -hmm. Like you're just that one little part and how are you in relationship in that community? Is is there equity? Mm. Is it, do you affirm yourself and other people equally? What does that look like? are you judging someone else? Are they judging you? Salvation is grounded in the behavior around community right, and right. relationship. Right. And I think it goes back to that um, understanding of life and eternal life in the Gospel of John that we talked about earlier. You know, it begins in the here and now. And when we get eternal life all mixed up with what happens after we die, we create this binary scenario of heaven and hell, eternal joy and eternal suffering. And of course, we're afraid of death. We can't see the daily resurrections that happen in our lives all the time. We haven't practiced. Exactly. As theologian Peter Rollins says, I deny the resurrection of Christ every time I do not serve at the feet of the oppressed, 
each day that I turn my back on the poor. I deny the resurrection of Christ when I close my ears to the cries of the downtrodden and lend my support to an unjust and corrupt system. However, there are moments when I affirm that resurrection, few and far between as they are. I affirm it when I stand up for those who are forced to live on their knees, when I speak for those who have had their tongues torn out, when I cry for those who have no more tears left to shed. Now that's communal salvation. That's right. Right there. Well, I think that this is an important conversation, and I think as we are looking at the church broadly, and particularly, you know, the institution and the leadership, I think this is an important theological concept to really look at. And thanks, Pedro, for posing this question and having us having us really think about it. And I think for me as a leader, that this is a helpful, helpful conversation for me because I, I need to be reminded that I need to practice some deaths. I need to practice mm-hmm. death and life and over and over and over again. And so, yeah, I, I, this is good. This is good stuff. It is good stuff. And I'm grateful that we are challenged to think into this. I don't think we actually answered Pedro's question at all, which, you know, is sort of our MO. That's what we do. Um, But these conversations, um, both for us as leaders, and I think for um, members of of our congregation and of other congregations out there who may or may not have um, the theological training and background, um, this idea of, of, you know, Marta, you said it at the beginning, like we sort of inherit these beliefs around different things. Today we're talking about heaven and hell and salvation, but we inherit those beliefs on all kinds of other theological concepts. Um, to think about those and, and to understand why we why we believe them and, and if we really do and how that's, how that's playing out in our lives, right? I think that um, if we can think about death and resurrection um, in a new way, we will live our lives in a new way. 100%. Um, and that's what we really need yeah, in this and I world. Yeah, that is actually what our young people need. Mm-hmm. So like our children and our teens, they get these messages of only life. Right. All the time. YOLO. I don't know what YOLO is. <laughs> you only live once. <laughs> <laughs> my my 17 year old son is like this sucks is this how it is all the time yes this is how it is I know my kids are always like I don't want to do that that's not fun right and like what happened in their upbringing where they did not where the dominant culture those messages were more dramatic than what we were actually teaching in our home Mm -hmm. and so even for those up out there that are not church but are secularists like the same message is for you too like you're getting all of these like other messages of only happy and celebratory and you're not practicing the little deaths and this is what happens is you get angry frustrated depressed people right terrified of whatever comes next right you just need to practice this text a little bit more, this little Gospel of John action. Seriously. Seriously.
If you're looking for Jesus, he has left the building. And here are some ways to find him this week. Read Peter Rollins' book, Insurrection, which proclaims that the Christian faith is not primarily concerned with questions regarding life after death, but with the possibility of life before death. And explore what it means for you to truly live before you die. Ahmaud Arbery's killers were convicted of murder this week, but laws like Georgia's stand your ground legislation are dangerous and challenge the abundant life that Jesus promises us in the Gospels. Every town for gun safety is working to repeal these laws and push back against the guns everywhere agenda that the gun lobby wants to make our national norm. Visit everytown.org and to add your name to the petition to repeal shoot first laws across the nation. There are some really great podcasts that focus on death and grief. Check out The Art of Dying Well, which encourages listeners to talk about death without fear and reminds us about the importance to live life in the fullest. You can also check out How to Grieve podcast with Tiffany, a Colorado Springs local and friend. Studying to be a death doula, Tiffany uses the podcast format to talk to people about their own experiences with death and grief. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at JHLTB and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation, or become a patron on our Patreon account at patreon.com JHLTB to commit monthly to this project. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. We give thanks to Black Forest Community Church and the Tributary Fund of the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ for their ongoing support. We could not do this without all who support Jesus has left the building.